This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You have reached a phone call from Paul, a literary hub podcast. To hear more, visit lethub.com. Paul Holden Graber's conversation with Sarah Broom. Hello. Hello. Can I please speak with Sarah Broom? This is she. Sarah, it's such a pleasure to speak with you. This is Paul Holden Graber calling you. Thank you for taking oh. my call. This is wonderful. I've been looking forward to this call. Well, me too. Me too, for so many reasons. And and I think the one of the main reasons is just the excitement I feel um, reading and rereading The Yellow House. Um, it's truly a, mag- a magnificent voyage. And I'm also so pleased that uh, though our phone call got a little delayed, it got delayed to so many rave reviews you've had. How does that all feel? Uh, because I think to, to feel overwhelmed is a, a pleasurable thing. But this is, this is um, it's coming from all quarters and from writers. I really admire and critics whose brains I love. So I'm just trying to take it all in, you know? Do you, do you recognize yourself? Or do you recognize uh, the Yellow House in these reviews? Well, you know, it's interesting. I don't actually read reviews, okay? So that, that's the, the thing. I, my friends call me, and then they give me reviews of the reviews, which, which are a lot of fun, by the way. <laughs> I think it's more fun than reading the review itself. Um, and, and I don't read reviews because... First of all, my partner is a filmmaker, also doesn't read reviews. And so I'm trained uh, to, to help her think about what people are saying about the work. And also, it, it allows me a kind of purity, in a sense, you know, my relationship to the work, because I feel that if I believe uh, the rave review, then I'll also be required to believe the bad review. You know, I love that. So I, I love choose, that. I choose not to read them at all. Well, I'll, let 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 me tell you that Dwight Garner says uses two words to describe your style, um, and I must say, it it really resonated with me because uh, the book, um, the biography of this house, is so. Um, affected by by these two qualities, he says that your style is alert and inquisitive, and um, the search for uh, the yellow house now disappeared. The anchor of your childhood is exactly that. 
alert and inquisitive. And I'd like to start by pointing out that among the things I love the most in your book, um, which perhaps may not surprise you since I'm a quotomaniac uh, by, uh, by profession, are your epigrams, which, which are just magnificent. And I'd like to start with the very first one, in a way, because I think it, it will permit you to say so many things, perhaps, or perhaps the two first ones, which are on the very first page of the Yellow House. You have one by Kai Miller. Um, yeah. Draw me a map of what you see. Then I will draw a map of what you never see. And guess me whose map will be bigger than whose. And then Peter Turchi, who I don't know, says, to learn how to read any map is to be indoctrinated into that map maker's culture. So those two epigrams are, um, epigraphs are just extraordinary. And perhaps you can let us know why they are the opening door to the yellow house. I don't know how many people are talking about the epigraphs, but I spent a really long time thinking about what they would be. The Kai Miller I discovered actually when I was in Rome. I was on, on holiday in Rome maybe um, a year ago. So I was, I was finishing a pretty big revision of the book. And I brought Kai Miller along just to read a book of his poetry. And I came upon this. Um, oh, and the, the book has an incredible uh, title. It's something like uh, The Map Maker Charts His Way to Zion. It's, <laughs> it's something that might not be exactly it, but it's this incredible title. And I, I read this, and it felt to me like the heart of what I was tr trying to do, right? Which is, yeah. in a way, uh, become a kind of cartographer. I say a kind of cartographer because I don't really trust cartographers, right? Uh, nor do I trust maps because I think um, historically uh, in America and elsewhere, they are um, documents that essentially frame out certain people, right, and certain narratives. So, but I do think that in the world itself, I was trying to revise a map that most people understand about New Orleans, right? And, and kind of add these new points on the map and talk about all these people I loved who, who were essentially cut off from the map. And then the Peter Turchy quotation, I love this quotation so much because in a way, what I wish the reader will do, right? Um, to learn how to read any map. And, and I feel like my experience as a woman in America, as a black woman in America, a Southern black woman, uh, is that I have learned to read many different maps, right? Maps that don't belong to me, maps of foreign places. I have in some cases become fluid, you know, in the language of these maps. And I am asking for that same thing that I'm laying out for you in the beginning of this book a map and if you can figure out how to read it 
you will have a different kind of entrance. How to read it, how to get lost, how to find your way around a space in New Orleans, namely the, the yellow house that sometimes is absent from all maps. into a kind of story about New Orleans, right? And and I think um, to have what comes up for me also, Paul, is the idea of patience, that who is allowed a kind of time when they're telling a story, right? Who gets the benefit of the doubt, right? And I, I really want the reader to unlock me and take their time. I'm, I'm trying to lay a certain kind of foundation. And that matters so much to me. So the Peter Turchy quotation really speaks to that. I remember meeting Kai, Kai Miller in Calabash in, in Jamaica and was very, very, very struck by his poetry. And, and then reading, reading those two quotations, as I said at the beginning, and which you amplified so beautifully, it is, it is really the, the opening to, to that, the, the door of the yellow house. And, you know, to move very quickly forward, because you talked about Kai Miller being one of, um, uh, one of your companions, as it were, in Rome, there's a passage I love about who will be the companions to you, to your days in Burundi. And you, you have this paragraph, which I will read, and then I'll have you comment on. During the three hour siestas on a, on weekends, I mostly sat inside reading books and writing letters. I treated my books like people, complaining about which ones I brought with me. Mavis Gallant was a mistake, I wrote in a letter. So was Henry James. Mark Twain was a brilliant idea. I read more hours than I worked at the radio station. Gail Jones's Cor Corregidora for the fifth time, Elizabeth Hardwick's Sleepless Nights, and James Baldwin's Evidence of Things Not Seen. My letters were full of quotations from these books, and I said what I could not. My memory stammers, but my soul is a witness, Baldwin wrote. And from Rilke's notebooks of Maltloritz Brigge, I don't want to write any more letters. What's the use of telling someone that I'm changing? If I'm changing, I am no longer who I was. And if I'm someone else, it's obvious that I have no acquaintances and I can't possibly write to strangers. Well, he's right, I wrote to a friend, but me, I can't stop talking to paper. Kisses, darling. Bring us back to, the, bring us back to that moment. what loneliness felt like 
I thought I had been lonely before, but when I was there for a year, I realized I had never been lonely. And I was very lonely that year. And I was, in a strange way, also becoming a writer because I was writing, I have now 500 pages or so front and back of letters I was writing to people that contain all of the stories of my days and, and what it meant to read uh, and to have writers as a kind of accompaniment. That one year taught me so much about the ways in which our literature, our art, is, is always in, in literal and actual conversation with other artists' work, right? It, it helped me understand that these two things aren't disparate at all, that we're sort of part of this great big organism as artists. And, and I think that part of the way that I like to write is, is to have all of these influences live inside the work and, and just remembering all of the reading and the thinking I did in Burundi reminds me how sort of crucial that moment was in, in, in kind of shaping me, you know, as this kind of thinker and writer who had all of these other sort of influences and forces who I was sort of talking to in my own work. There is a, um, a line you quote from Toni Morrison, mm. which... Um, strikes me twice as strongly rereading it now uh, mm. than when I read it for the first time a few months ago, which is, water has a perfect memory, Toni Morrison has said, and is forever trying to get back to where it was. That line in the context of the story of the yellow house is very powerful. Perhaps you can say something both about that line and about your relationship, not only with water, but also with Toni Morrison. What I wonder is, actually, could I read the full paragraph? Of course, of course you can. Please do. Because, because I use the line, but the thing that is in my heart and that I read almost every day while writing was the whole paragraph, so I'll read it. So she actually said, just to give a little bit of context, she said, so in an essay called The Site of Memory, you know, they straightened out the Mississippi River in places to make room for houses and livable acreage. Occasionally, the river floods these places. Floods is the word they use, but in fact, it is not flooding. It is remembering, remembering where it used to be, all water has a perfect memory and is forever trying to get back to where it was. Writers are like that, remembering where we were, what valley we ran through, what the banks were like, the light that was there, and the route back to our original place. It is emotional memory, what the nerves and the skin remember, as well as how it appeared and a rush of imagination is our flooding. Wow. So, yeah. the work, Toni Morrison's body of work, let me back up a little bit. 
So I'm the youngest of 12 children. I think you know that. I do, and, I do, and, and and not only do I know it. Now everyone knows that. Yeah, now I was about to say now everybody knows it, and everybody knows the the the, the spaces in between you as housed in the yellow house. Yes, exactly, and and so being the youngest, there were moments in the reporting of this book and often in the writing where I had to gain a kind of courage just to be able to write the story that felt impossible, that felt impossible. Because uh, I felt in a lot of ways that it, it wasn't, in certain ways I felt it wasn't my story to tell, right? Because I was talking about a kind of history that came before me. But often I would read that paragraph about memory, about history, about a kind of naturalness to things, right? That's what I get from it. And it would drive me to doing my work. And, you know, the thing about uh, Morrison, which matters so much to me, is that she was in love with what it herself, I think, and what it meant to be black and what it meant to come from a black family, and, and she always wrote about nuance and the complication of that. And it was always grounded in context and in history. Uh, and then beyond that, right, so just on the level of what's happening with the sentences, I think people underestimate what it means for someone to write something that makes you feel, right? I mean... When I tell somebody, if I go to a film and I said, and I'm moved by something, that's, that's my highest feeling about a piece of art, right? And so to, to open any page of Toni Morrison, which I could do right now and read it, you know, and, and feel moved by it, and to think about how someone built a sentence that contains so much uh, is, is massive for me. So I... I uh, Toni Morrison's works for me are biblical texts, you know, um, you know, like the Bible. And I read them uh, not just for the story she's telling, but but as a kind of student of craft and, and just trying to figure out how you make a sentence like that. You have said that um, without Toni Morrison, perhaps your your late vocation of writing wouldn't have come into play. Sure, I I, uh, I believe that. I am someone who is really interested in context. And so for me, Toni Morrison is critical to and crucial and a kind of beginning for me. But then there are other writers too who are surrounding me in a way, right? Or who I think of as surrounding me. Who are and, they? Who you know, are they? Uh, Sarah, you, you, you knew I would ask you. You can't say, you, 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 you can't, you can't say, Sarah, to me, a, a sentence yeah. like that without my wanting to say, Sarah, tell me, who are those writers? I, I think I know a few, but I want you to say them without me prompting you. Sure. So, so there are certain poets who are responsible for me in a way, right? So Jack Gilbert, June Jordan, who I went to UC Berkeley for. She died the semester before I started, but I went to, to Berkeley for her. Um, uh, Zabald, W.G. Zabald, 
uh, John Edgar Weidman, um, uh, Jamaica Kincaid's book, Autobiography of My Mother, is kind of central to who I am as a thinker uh, and as a writer. Of Joan Didion, Katsia, uh, I love so much. And Baldwin, of course Baldwin, right? Um, Elizabeth Hardwick, who we mentioned earlier. So these are sort of the firmaments, in a way, of writers who I feel surround me. And some of them particularly are, are obsessed with place, the way that I'm obsessed with place. And so that's like Edward P. Jones and the way he talks about D.C., right? And that's, of course, Didion talking about California. Um, and I've always thought of myself as, as somebody who cared enormously about places. So those are, those are my, my people. Um, among, I, I mean, how, how, how can I choose uh, to single out one or if I'm singling out just one, but maybe two, maybe just one, uh, perhaps uh, one that in, in the pantheon of writers that surround you and nurture you and feed you and nourish you, there is one in particular I would like to single out because it's a passion we share. Um, and we share it in part because you shared that passion with me early on. And that is, mm -hmm. is that, and that is Jack Gilbert. Do you do you, uh, do you do you have a poem of his you might read? Sure, I thought about that too. See, I, I somehow intuited that you would ask this question, and for me, so the poem that I return to over and over from Jack Gilbert is uh, one called "The Forgotten Dialect of the Heart." Yeah, and it says how astonishing it is that language can almost mean and frightening that it does not quite love, we say, God, we say, Rome and Michiko, we write, and the words get it all wrong. We say bread, and it means according to which nation. French has no word for home, and we have no word for strict pleasure. A people in northern India is dying out because their ancient tongue has no words for endearment. I dream of lost vocabularies that might express some of what we no longer can. Maybe the Etruscan text would finally explain why the couples on their tombs are smiling, and maybe not. When the thousands of mysterious Sumerian tablets were translated, they seemed to be business records. But what if they are poems or songs? My joy is the same as 12 Ethiopian goats standing silent in the morning light. Oh, Lord, thou art slabs of salt and ingots of copper, as grand as ripe barley light under the wind's labor. Her breast are six white oxen loaded with bolts of long-fibered Egyptian cotton. My love is a hundred pitchers of honey. Shiploads of suyer are what my body wants to say to your body. Giraffes are this desire in the dark. Perhaps the spiral Minoan script is not language but a map. What we feel most has no name but ambers, archers, cinnamon, horses, and birds. Isn't that something? As you can as you can hear, it really is. 
I mean, there's so many. You you introduced me years ago to to Jack Gilbert and um, reading him, you know, passionately uh, since then. Um, this poem is tremendous. My my own favorite, I think, is a poem called "Failing and Flying," mm. uh, which is so so powerful. Would you read that one? Are you um, going to read that? I, I'm I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to invite everybody who's overhearing it. Uh, overhearing us to read Jack Gilbert, to read his collected poems, uh, to 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 read um, his his little book, The Refusal of Heaven, I think it's called, uh, which is just an yeah. e- extraordinary little collection, and to read his fantastic Paris Review interview, um, which. Which is really one of the the grand great ones, and you know, I single out in the poem the word house because of of the and of of French not having that word because there's another epigraph which I think is central to your book by another great great poet who was not only a poet but a postman and not only a postman but a great philosopher. And that is Gaston Bachelard. And you yeah. have, you have a wonderful epigraph and I will amplify it and then have you speak about the yellow house in the context of Bachelard. You say the things we have forgotten are housed. Our soul is in abode. And by remembering houses and rooms, we learn to abide within ourselves. That is your epigraph and then i was reminded of another one and i found the and i found the english translation of it it's in in the la poétique de l'espace of poet, po, poetics of space um he says a psychoanalyst thanks to the house a great many memories are housed a psychoanalyst should turn his attention to the simple localization of memories i should like to give the name of topoanalysis to this auxiliary of psychoanalysis to psychoanalysis then would be the systematical psychological study of the sites of our intimate Lives and maybe a third one where Bashlach says the house shelters daydreaming, the house protects the dreamer, the house allows one to dream in peace. Well, the last one is perhaps the most difficult one uh, to make rhyme with your book because so many of the dreams were shattered with the yellow house disappearing. And and I what I love so much about the Codex of Space and Bachelard's work is is the just the philosophy of it and it I read his work as a kind of beginning. I read his work before I started writing anything about the house because I wasn't interested in only writing about a physical house, right? I was trying to write about a kind of psychological house. Right. About the literal house, but a psychological right, house. Right, right, right. I, I thought of the composition of a book as a house. The, I, you know, the, I, I thought of the act of writing the book as a kind of 
resurrection of the house with and, words. And, and, and exactly that, the, 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 the way the book was written, you, you might mention to those who are listening to us the very, it's, it's a symphonic book, um, made in four movements and an after thought, as it were. and 
bleached every damn thing in sight, made it a very uh, capable world where I actually could call dream and peace. And I think that is the complication for me. That was the rub. That was the tension. You know, just, um, Sarah, just hearing you talk about your mother briefly now is so, is, I know. I, I love hearing, I love, I love you loving her. Yeah. It's, She's actually one of my favorite humans. Well, she. And I don't mean, I don't mean that in a hagiographic no, way. No, 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 no. But she, and, and she, she, um, her place in the yellow house. I don't want to say too much, but her place in the yellow house is so tactile and palpable and present, um, as is as is the absence of your father and the, and, and the very little that remains of him, um, which is spoken about um, in 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 a, in a really poignant and elegiac way. things come through my mind um i i think i'm going to stay with with another complicated figure after jack gilbert and after tony morrison and after bachelard um someone who i think is central to you um and who says has a fantastic epigraph uh, to a chapter called sojourner um, Joan Didion, and the, the the quotation there is: "A place belongs forever to whoever claims it hardest, remembers it most obsessively, wrenches it from itself, shapes it, renders it, loves it so radically that he remakes it in his own image." That 
application is so meaningful to me as is Didion, and uh, particularly from Didion. Her book, Where I Was From, I love most all of Didion, but Where I Was From, uh, which is uh, about her growing up in, uh, in the Sacramento area, and, and it's about, you know, her ancestors, right? Uh, it, it begins that way, the book. And then it becomes a critique, right, of where she's from. And it's, it's a sort of blistering, well-founded, well-researched uh, uh, sort of uh, mountain of evidence that sort of ultimately makes a statement about who she is. And I really embraced that book as I was thinking about the way I wanted to write my own book. So my, my book is not that book, right? But, but it, um, it is not afraid. And, and I think I, I gained that courage from reading that book, particularly of Didion's, to take on a place that you're from and not be afraid of it. So interesting, um, Sarah. In hearing you speak about books and books you took to Burundi and books you have taken away, taken with you wherever you have gone, um, mm-hmm. what I hear you saying is, of course, that book is not my book, but I'm made of all these books. Books are what give me courage. I, one of the things that I don't like so much about my life now is I don't have enough time to read. It really bothers me. What has taken so its place? It's just, you know, talking about my book over and over again. I am so sorry. <laughs> I really, this is, this is big for me, not reading. And I, I, I almost, I am writing about the act of not reading because it's, To, to read the way you were talking about watching a, a, a movie and being moved, which is, um, you know, what is reading but uh, sustained attention? And, you know, I'm always reminded of Simone Weil's great line that attention, uh, that attention is a form of prayer. Yes. That, you know, we need that kind of immersive quality you will get back. You, you will get back. Yeah. I, I have a feeling you you will get back to it. You know, um, 
at the very beginning of the book, a, a chapter called Map, which is kind of a prelude uh, to the, the, the biography and the journey of the Yellow House, you, you have this line where you say, the Yellow House was witness to our lives. When it fell down, something in me burst. And I'm, I'm, I was struck by that line and underlined it when I read it in the, in the galley the first time. But then the journey is really a putting back together to what had been shattered and a true, um, in, in, the, in the most powerful etymological sense, a true remembrance, remembering as if putting back the members together. of writing um, as an act of recollection. Just in general, as a human, and and of course as a writer, um, is 
I love to turn things over and see what the underbelly looks like. You know, it, when you when you were mentioning reading and reading everywhere and sort of um, the wonderful line in Gogol's uh, overcoat where Akaki Akakievich doesn't know if he's in the middle of the street or in the middle of a sentence. It, 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 it when you mentioned the word Harlem, um, it immediately brought back for me, uh, Sharifa wrote, wrote Pitt's book, Harlem is Nowhere. Because in so, in so many ways, I, I feel you have done a form of microgeography and of microgeography that leads to a, a whole world. So the, the yellow house, which is in a certain place, no longer there, um, is a whole world. And that brought to mind, uh, Sarah, a, a poem by W.S. Merwin, which I wonder if you know, called The Other House. No, I don't know I'm that. going to read it to you. And then I'm going to, well, I'm going to read it to you. It's a short poem. He says, I come back again to the old house that I thought I knew for most of my lifetime, the house I reclaimed from abandon and ruin, and that I called my home at times when I was here and at times when I was somewhere far from here. This time I have not come to reclaim anything, but to move nothing and to touch nothing as though I were a ghost or here in a dream, and I know it is a dream that has no age. In this dream, the same river is still here. The house is an old house, and I am here in the morning, in the sunlight, and the same bird is singing. Wow, I love that. Sarah, might you leave us with something... Of the yellow house, might you might you read something from the yellow house? Shall I decide, or you want to tell me what? Oh no no no! I want you to pick and choose. Okay. Oh, I'll read from uh, the the part where I uh, where I sort of am born in the story, which is actually about a hundred pages in, and it's one of my it was one of my favorite things to write. So hiding places. I am five. This small bathroom where my father sat on the toilet after work and died, and where before then mom took baths with green rubbing alcohol and Epsom salts to ease the weariness, is for me a playroom full of things no adult ever touches. The sheetrock leaning against the wall, smelling of mold is my chalkboard, and the neon green lizards crawling in and out through holes in the screen are my students. Standing on two brick lifts me high enough to see out onto the alleyway, running behind our house and over the fence that separates where I live from where my friend Kendra lives in the trailer park next door. Careful when coming down that my lavender jelly sandaled foot does not step into the medium-sized hole in the floorboard that will eventually become a large hole, letting in more sound and outside creatures. After this was the room where Daddy went quiet, it was a room with a washboard in the tub and then an actual washing machine. But Mom says the plumbing was never right. Those plastic white tubes, contorted limbs twisting through exposed walls are still here for me to look at, but the machines are not. The tub is gone too. 
there is still a heavy door that closes with a hole for a knob where I have stuffed tissue paper for privacy. I like best to hear the voices in the house calling for me and not being able to find me where I am here, where I can wait anything out until the night. So that's it. Sarah, I can't tell you what a pleasure it's been to to speak with you. I know that I've taken you away from what you what you like most, which is getting back to reading. And I'm sorry for that and please forgive me. But it's, it's this was so much fun. It, it's it's so, really was. And I and I can't tell people enough, but I will repeat it that they they must read uh, the Yellow House, your Yellow House, and I think Dwight Garner was right in the New York Times when he said it was a a many chambered memoir. So I I hope I hope the readers, you know, go into those various rooms. They are they are extraordinary rooms, and you never quite know what you might find there. You find a little bit of Sarah but you find a lot about the world and the world all around her, including what she just read, which is what you just read, which is your very early moments. It's such a, a, a beautiful way in which you have of, of uh, plunging back into the archives. We didn't have time to talk about how this book came about, but it is really magnificent. I thank you for this gift. Bye-bye, Sarah. Take good care of yourself. Okay, bye. Bye.